0: I'll <laughs>
1: Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything Tabletop. My name's Zach, and this week I have both of my co-hosts with me. I have Mark and Steve. Mark, how are you today? I'm
2: doing stellar. How are you? The Force is with me. <laughs> ah, nice. And Steve.
3: <laughs> not bad.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> he, he could be better if he saw Star Wars this last weekend. I
3: could, <laughs> yes, which I have not
1: yet, but... Which wait, he has not.
2: Wait a minute, there's a new Star Wars? <laughs> Shut up, shut up, Mark. Didn't, why didn't anybody tell me about this? Why don't they advertise these things?
1: Uh, seriously? Because you you tell us about that. <laughs> That's what happens. You, you don't need anything advertised to you. You know about it already. Well, <laughs> oh, it's not like
3: you
0: Okay.
3: It's not like you work for a company where they talk about these things, do they?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh man.
1: <sighs> this week it is going to be another regular episode. But like always, we will be starting with our segment, Wish of the Week. In Wish of the Week, we talk about anything we are excited for, from movies to video games to RPGs. This week, I will start with Steve because he's trying to jump the gun on me. (laughs)
3: Well, I thought it was important that I get my wish in early, since my wish is that I, I, I hope the Star Wars movie does not suck, and two, uh, that I manage to make it to it without any enormous spoilers. So <laughs> that's so. What happens is <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, I want to make sure that nobody else's wish involves the Star Wars spoiler.
3: So
2: that's right. <laughs>
1: there we go. Mark will have a conversation afterwards. Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you've seen those those porg, Those porgs. Yeah, the the little guinea pig dudes. Yeah, you know Luke gets captured by those, and the last scene (laughs) of the the last scene of the movie is Luke turning around saying, "We are the Porg," and then Riker orders (laughs) Riker orders the Enterprise to fire on the cube, and that's where it ends. Huge cliffhanger!
0: Huge cliffhanger!
3: Cutest of
1: Porg! (laughs) My God,
0: it writes itself.
1: Oh my god, that is beautiful. Uh, I would watch that movie. I have no problem with this. Holy hell. (laughs) I have nothing else to say. Guys, we'll catch you next week.
3: (laughs) Still a better romance than the
1: prequels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Oh, that is absolutely perfect.
2: I I didn't see it coming, I gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? Mark. Uh, well, Porg, actually, Porg man. interestingly, sticking with the, the Star Wars, uh, I, I am, I, I, I have seen Star Wars movie, but I am looking forward to Star Wars because uh, Steve and I have started a new Star Wars role-playing campaign. Uh, oh, yeah. Our Tuesday night group kind of switched gears a little bit, and uh, Steve and I are actually playing with uh, Matt, uh, wow. one of the other group is running a Star Wars campaign set during the uh, original rebellion so mm-hmm. that's, that's you know awesome. we've gotten one game uh, under our belt so we've just kind of gotten the, just kind of gotten the the ball started rolling but uh, so far it's been going really great and I can't wait for more of it
3: it is It is a great game. I gotta say, like, I am super impressed by, by how well Matt's running this thing. It's He does a great job with immersion and environment, so...
2: He is, yeah. I, I, Perfect. We're doing the old uh, D20 version, which I am not a fan of. I, I don't really like the <laughs> D20, but...
3: I'm glad it wasn't just me.
2: <laughs> yeah. But But Matt is really good with it, so...
3: He um, is yeah well it, it's it's just the environment the world is so easy to get into like he's he's really familiar with the source, mm-hmm. and I think he could shape any kind of you could make a game system out of like rocks and twigs,
1: and I think he'd <laughs> be able to make it run nice so yeah, I have to ask what kind of characters are you running
2: um i am a uh uh pilot transport pilot from uh Alderon who's of course just lost his planet um and uh the uh, the other player is a noble from from Alderaan, uh, okay, who, who kind of owns the ship. I fly it, and then Steve.
3: Mm-hmm. I've got a Mon Calamari tech, um, who's uh, yeah, it's it's actually kind of fun. Like I'm I'm I don't know. He's he's a little bit like you know PTSD and and grumpy and curmudgeonly, but <laughs> it's also kind of fun being the only
1: alien in the group. So <laughs> true, beautiful. Well, that's awesome. So, wish of the week for me is l- much longer than it has been in the past. Go for it. <laughs> so, couple—it's going to be a couple of discussions now. <laughs> <laughs> first things first. Uh, on the first-person shooter side of things, for for console, for the Xbox, uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds—the preview version. There are a lot of air quotes uh it, it launched this weekend this this last week maybe thursday friday
0: mhm
1: and uh it's all right i'm having fun but it's aggravating it with with the preview version of this it's still really beta e you know a lot of network lag a lot of you know it takes a while for things to load into the game, stuff like that.
3: My, yeah, that's what I've been hearing, actually. It's sort of a disappointing rollout for it, considering the, the, the built-in fan base. A lot of people are saying that uh, Fortnite kind of ate its lunch, so I don't know if you've played that one's version of the Battleground system or not, but that one seems mm-hmm. to be a little bit more polished.
1: It definitely is, because it's had a lot more time for them to work on.
3: Well, I don't know about you know, that. With, Battle, with, Fortnite came out like uh, a couple of months ago. I mean, that's still pretty fresh too.
1: Right. But I think development of it. Yeah. Didn't it would, they had a lot more time. Well, and a lot more Origina- resources. originally for battlegrounds. It was supposed to be released next year, early to mid next year, mm-hmm. like first, first quarter. And it released much, much earlier, you know, and I think that's the problem. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't use enough of their resources and time to, to really get into it and really make it good. I think that's why they released it as a preview version. It's pretty much a public beta right now. I think they're just wanting to see, you know, these full 100 player games in squads, solos, et cetera, et cetera. See how it does work from there, you know, and then, and then do that. Mm Mm-hmm. But other than those, you know, those small development things, it's fine. You know, it's it's a it's a fun game I've been playing the last couple of days. Cool. Very fun. Next thing in video game land. Okay. Um Elite Dangerous. Elite. I'm playing a lot more. Oh, good, good. So what what do they change? Um, Why are you back in? Um, I'm back in because I have gotten a new controller. Ah. Um, this, this company seems like they would be producing a different sort of product. Um, wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. Is it Thrustmaster? It's Thrustmaster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, they definitely, um, yeah, name controversy there. But um, they have come out with, uh, for the Xbox at least, they've come out with what is called the HOTAS. Um, it stands for Hands on Throttle and Stick uh it's it's a two piece kind of like you know flight simulator controller it's got a joystick with a bunch of buttons and a you know a workable throttle that you can move up and down nice it is so much better than working a, a regular controller like oh my goodness it's just—it's just absolutely ridiculous.
3: Well, it's—it's it's special design for flight games. I mean, it's sort of that's exactly. what they use when you're flying planes. So clearly, yeah. that's going to be uh, more workable for that genre. Yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely. But the amount of control, uh, Steve, have you played yet? Have you have you jumped in?
3: I have not, not yet, no.
1: So when you're using a regular controller, unless you map your buttons differently, but the stock controls you have to switch in between different flight modes so you can either you know using using the right stick you can either um pitch yaw, i don't remember which what it's called yeah but you can you can you know turn your nose to one direction or the other and then you have to click a button you have to click one of the sticks in order to um kind of strafe so like fly um You know, pointing in one direction, flying to the sides. Right, right. Um, You you have to switch between those flight modes to do those things. Okay. And with this, you have so many buttons. You have little bumper buttons on the back of your throttle Mm -hmm. for this to where you, you don't have to switch flight modes. You can do everything without having to switch anything which is beautiful, which is absolutely beautiful.
3: It does sound like it would make it a heck of a lot easier to to navigate in general.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. It took a little bit of time to get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's a new control scheme and, and you've got to do that. But but yeah, uh, it, it was a great purchase. I believe there was, it was. There was a big whole uproar on the Internet about it just because... You know the demand was so high, and I, Thrustmaster definitely knew that, mm-hmm. they, because they they put you know perfect for elite dangerous on their boxes. Yeah, they know there's so many elite dangerous players on the Xbox, and they they kind of I don't know the correct metaphorical term. Um, uh, they they didn't meet demand. Honestly. Okay, Sim- simply mm-hmm. that, and so they had all these pre-orders and stuff on Amazon and they didn't have enough to fulfill everything and, and everybody got mad.
3: Well, it's a lot harder when it comes to something like hardware, it's a lot harder to scale up production in a hurry. So if they were running behind, like, you know, it's, it's not like software where they can just, you know, reallocate some resources and, and double the order in two weeks with hardware. That stuff has a long lead up. So that makes sense.
1: Oh yeah. 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 But you know, with, with all that Amazon stuff, they said they weren't going to have anything here in the States um, until, like, February of this next year. Oh, wow. And they got in, like, 30 units through Amazon. <laughs> and I saw a post on Reddit saying, hey, go check Amazon. They might have them. Mm-hmm. And I went on, there were seven left. Oh, my God. I was like, holy. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I jumped and I got one. I got a Christmas present for me. <laughs> oh, good on ya. And uh, and yeah, I've just been loving it. It's, it's so great. Because, you know, it adds to that immersion factor of the game, too. Like, you're actually sitting in a cockpit and you've got these controls.
3: Yeah, I'm a a big fan of the old Steel Battalion, so I can definitely say, you know, more controls is better uh, pretty much every time, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that'll be it for this segment of Wish of the Week. Now, on to our main topics. Well, kind of. Are side topics right now. <laughs>
3: They're all side topics. <laughs> sure,
1: exactly. So we we need a small discussion. Okay. The oh Orville season just ended. Mm.
0: It's
1: very first season of the Orville. Yep. And first impressions. What do you guys think? Go ahead. Awesome. Me? <laughs> do I get to
0: go first? Bad? <laughs> go first? Okay, perfect.
3: Okay, I think it's awesome. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get this right out there. Um, I, I enjoy it a lot. The weird thing is, it's definitely its own kind of breed. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's unique in the sense that it's not unique. They've actually nailed kind of campy again. Like, you know, it's so retro TNG feel. Um, it it feels authentic in that manner. Um, probably it feels closer to Trek than the current Trek show that they've got right now, Discovery. So, I don't know. I'm having a great time with it. I, I don't have many, if any, problems at all. Uh there's and well, yeah, I'm I'm liking it. Mark?
2: Um, I am kinda of gonna go, go on a limb here a little bit, uh, and agree with Steve in a roundabout way in saying that I don't think there's anything really special about the Orville, which is what makes it special. Uh exactly you know, if you look at you know especially Star Trek, they were it seems like they work so hard Give it a twist, or give it a gimmick, or give it some you know something to to make it something.
3: Not that just they lose. you know roaming around yeah. doing missions. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. All you you need a ship with a crew of likable characters, mm-hmm. and you yep. got a show, and that's exactly what Orville has done. Yeah, you know, there's there's a little bit of you know there's some stuff going on there, but conceptual wise, it, there's not this huge you know, attempt to, you know, we'll put them in this far away quadrant or we'll put them in a, a, a time war or,
0: you know, or yeah. we'll, we'll
2: create some sort of, you know, special thing going on. It's like, no, they're a ship exploring planets.
3: Done. Yes. They're, com- they're completely unrestrained by the whole, like, like season long show arc. It's just you know a series of one offs, and they might have callbacks to previous characters, but it's oh, yeah. definitely not arc based, which is so refreshing. Like it really I gotta is. Say. It, it, it's funny because I love arcs. I never thought that it would be a bad thing to get away from that. But watching Orville, I'm like, oh, you know what's great? Who knows what's going to happen tonight? Let's see. You know
1: exactly, Zach. <gasps> yeah, no, I I completely agree. I I definitely agree with you guys. Um, it's not. Extremely unique, but it's unique enough to not be a carbon copy of something else, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I again, I absolutely love the comedy aspect of it, um, of, of how well they use their humor, um, but they also have those really, really serious moments too.
2: Absolutely. Um, and but you
1: always go back to the episode where Bordis and his mate you know, had the child and the Uh whole Mm -hmm. gender reconstruction thing. Definitely serious topic.
3: That was great. Yeah.
1: Great topic. Uh, That episode was mainly a more serious episode. You know, there was very light humor in it and stuff like that. But, but other than that, you know, that was immediately diffused by the next episode, which was probably absolutely hilarious.
3: Yeah. yeah, well, um, here's here's the deal. Like the comedy, I wanted to talk about the comedy for a second here because yes. honestly, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the comedy, but I don't find it so heavy that it's off-putting. And I've got a theory that the comedy only exists as a hook that that Seth MacFarlane used to get the show in the door. Like the, at the I, network, they're like, you can do whatever you want as long as it's a comedy. He was like, I want to do Star Trek, so I'm just going to throw in some jokes and call it a comedy. Like that's what it feels like to me. Like, like the comedy is, is a little bit out of place at times. I love the fact that it's got sort of this office vibe. I like the casualness mm-hmm. of all the characters and the interactions like that. I think hundred percent is great. Um, every now and then a fart joke pops up and it doesn't like pull me right out of the whole show, but I, I wouldn't miss it if it were gone. So, you know, right.
2: Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's, that's a good observation. Um, cause yeah, you hear Seth MacFarlane and you're really expecting a certain a certain style that Mm -hmm. this doesn't have completely. There's, there's a taste of it. The foot, the toe is in the door, but Mm -hmm. it it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not, it's not what I was expecting. It's not as many fart jokes as I was expecting. Certainly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank God, because I think if they overplayed that card, I, I, it might even be enough for me to be out the door, but, um, as it is, I think it's it's not intrusive and I it just feels like a nice optimistic fresh, you know, sci-fi show.
1: Yeah, no, completely agreed. Uh-huh. And I think I I really don't know because I haven't seen the movies Seth MacFarlane's been in like mm. Bodied. Mm-hmm. Um but I think he's he's not wanting his image as an actor to be a stand-up show. I think. I think he wants something like he wants to be seen as an actor, unless as a comedian. This huh. kind of shows that he is more of an actor because he's not this 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 show. It, it is a little bit focused on comedy, but again, it it really shows his acting. You know mm-hmm. his interactions between him and Kelly. Yeah. Um. You know all of this, these serious moments, they show that he can, he can act. He's not just a funny guy. He can, he can really act too, you know, and, and everybody sees him from, um,
2: family guy and American dad and mm-hmm. everything like this. But I think it's, it's nice that, you know, American dad and family guy, he's, he's a voice actor. So mm-hmm. you're not, yeah. you're not actually seeing those characters. You know, he's, he's not, uh, as visibly recognizable, which gives him the opportunity to kind of really make this his own got the popularity to yeah. sell it. But, uh, and, and also, uh, make it pretty unique. Well,
3: I always feel like I mean he's 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 he does a fine job in the role, like you know, he's a decent actor, but I also feel like he's one of those guys that's never really acting. Like he's got that kind of Nick Cage mm. thing where he just sort of shows up and, and does <laughs> Seth McFarlane and, and 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 that's kinda his deal. Um like every I, I I've seen a couple of his movies, the was it the Thousand ways to die in the West. No, and,
2: why, yeah, oh, yeah.
3: Like and, and things like that. And it it, 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 he feels like basically the same character and everything I've actually seen, seen him in. Um, but that said, I mean, I think he's more of a, um, I, I, feel that he really shines as more of a producer. Like he's an idea guy who gets like a cool concept and a great show running smoothly. And I think in this case, it feels like, well, I'm doing a show about Trek. Of course, I'm going to be Kirk. So I'm just, I'm just Kirk.
2: <laughs> and, <laughs> but that kind of works for that character. Absolutely. For, uh, for absolutely. That Kirk thing. Yeah. yeah,
3: I don't mean to sound like I'm criticizing it, because I think that in this circumstance, it, it really works well.
2: Yeah. yeah. In fact, yeah, all yeah. of his and casting, then, his casting
3: whole... choices of, of, of pretty much unknown actors are all 100%. Maybe, I don't know like enough about his stuff that maybe these are recurring people from other projects he's worked with, but I think his choice of picking relative unknowns for all of his roles has really worked out well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know back again to his acting side of things the whole thing with him and Kelly about getting his job there in the either the last episode or the second to last episode oh yeah I don't mm-hmm. remember. yep that just kind of shows the kind of person that that the captain is you know that he is it's like how he reacts to that how he responds to that you know it's all character building yeah yeah of course and so you know again i agree with steve you know it's it's probably a, a lot like the uh the nick cage thing it's a lot like he shows up he does seth mcfarland and you know he's he's in mm-hmm. that kind of thing um but yeah there there is a good acting backbone behind that
3: yeah well definitely and when because i think
1: he was he was in in um Theater and, and, a, and a lot yeah. of that stuff. When yeah. He was younger too. So he, he definitely has that background.
3: Well, I think when you've got somebody who's involved in the writing who's also involved in the acting, it's much easier to draw like a direct line between concept and screen. Like, like what he, you know, intended when he wrote these, you know, plots that revolved around the captain is definitely going to be reflected by, you know, what he's, because there's no, there's no gap there. It's, it's all the same person. Yeah. So, you're not
2: writing, you're not writing it as a uh, French Shakespearean uh, uh, orator <laughs> character. Mm-hmm. You're you're writing it as somebody that, that Seth MacFarlane would fit into. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I love the cast. I absolutely love the cast.
1: Yeah.
3: Agreed. Yep. Yeah.
1: I, I love the um the pop in of Rob Lowe as derulio mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yep. Do you all notice that was Rob Lowe? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah. Like yeah. On, in the pilot. Yeah. I was like, is that Rob Lowe?
1: <laughs> that, well, yeah, that's exactly like the first scene he popped in, I was like, is no. Popped oh, yeah. in,
2: nice
3: choice there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's great. I like the feel. Like I like the fact that it feels way more grounded. Like even though they're in space and doing their thing, there's also like a much more small talk on the bridge than there was in the Enterprise. Even oh, yeah. like in in TNG when they had like aside discussions, they still had to keep it very formal. Where in this one, you know, they they talk like people you know at my office at, at you live with like actual people. People would have these conversations. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's just it's it's cool. I really like it. <laughs>
1: What is a practical joke? <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> he cut oh, his <laughs> off. Yeah. he steals his leg. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, my God. But, yeah. See, that's actually brilliant.
3: <laughs> yeah, I take back anything I said about the comedy. It's, it's
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, you want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. want it now. <laughs> yeah,
3: that worked out just fine. Well, I think originally in my first, I, I was a little bit, I had a little bit of a misgivings when I was watching the pilot because I was like, I was hyped up going into it. I was like, this is going to be Galaxy Quest, um, which yes. I think actually yeah. might be a different project that's still on the, on in the works in Netflix or something. But I was like, this is going to be Galaxy Quest. It's going to be so great. And I watched it. And I'm like, this isn't Galaxy Quest at all. And then once I wrapped my head around, no, it's actually TNG, not Galaxy Quest. Then mm-hmm. I was able to just relax and enjoy it. And the only the people the only people I've talked to or I've I've heard from that don't like it are either a critics, which baffles me, like apparently if you write for a major publication, you hate the Orville, and and b like like people that had a preconception that it was going to be more comedy heavy. Like I've had people say like I don't want Seth MacFarlane writing morality plays. I want him to tell more fart jokes. And I'm like, well, okay, now you're just limiting yourself.
1: Family Guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If if that's what you want, go watch Family Guy. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: But yeah, um, I'm definitely looking forward
2: to the next season, Mm -hmm. whenever that's coming out. And you know, something else I got to say that kind of liked, the last episode, I had a feeling like there were two alternate endings, and if they hadn't gotten renewed, they would have at least resolved the the relationship. But since they got uh, renewed, they left it open. They left it open. Think we're yes. going to you know? jump
3: the shark that early? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Hey, yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously,
1: they're they're going to make it to a point where like, and that could have been you know a an accidental thing. You know, maybe they just wanted to you know reach the end of this season on like a kind of a plateau and then pick uh-huh. it up during the next season. Yeah, you know, kind of, kind uh-huh. of how we do we do our seventh C. You know, we kind of. Kind of cap it off, finish a story, and then move on good know? point
3: mm-hmm. yeah well, I agree hundred percent that i it did feel like they kind of left it open like they were maybe maybe not um on on how they resolved that, but I love the fact that I mean well obviously the way they did it was the right way to do it, i think
1: mm-hmm. agreed
3: but if, agree.
2: but I think if they hadn't been you know if this was just a one season and they were done, I think they could have gone the other way with it and and capped it off and. Know, it would have been satisfying too.
3: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think it
2: was. It was right there if they if they had wanted to take it. But
3: well, mm-hmm.
2: sorry, ahead, moving on, because they were moving on. Glad they didn't. Yes.
3: Well, I wanted to take a moment here and kind of circle back. Um, what do you guys think about the fact that, like, right now, critically, it's got a twenty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but huh. the audience has a ninety three percent. Like, what do you make of that, Mark?
2: I think. I think it has its audience. You know, like you say, the people that are looking for Family Guy are going to be disappointed. The people who don't like Star Trek aren't going to find anything enjoyable here. Um, The kind of people that are going to like the show are the three of us. Um, And the people, you know. Just us. (laughs) Sure. So Seth
1: MacFarlane (laughs) ship every episode of the Orville directly to us. That's right.
3: You and me and ninety three percent of the responders on on Rotten Tomato. So I right, mean, like the it, people,
2: yeah, yeah, the people who are going to watch it are going to be enjoying it.
3: So are I we think. talking about genre fans? Are we talking about like if you're a sci fi fan, you're going to love it, and if you're not a sci fi fan, you're not. Like, is that what it boils down to?
1: I no, I I really think you know because with that that twenty one percent that you said, that's critics. That's yeah. that's all the quote unquote, important people that, that, you know, review movies. And I think with that, they're being way too comparative. They're comparing it to everything that's sci-fi. They're comparing it to Star Trek. They're comparing it to Star Wars. They're, they're comparing it to Seth MacFarlane's other stuff. And, you know, it's not like Seth MacFarlane's other stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think they gave it that just because it's not consistent that they want. I think they want a consistency. They want something. You know, honestly, the the bad thing about critics is they want something they've seen before and liked.
2: Yes. hmm Yes, you're absolutely that's, right. That's
1: what it all boils down to. They don't care about new, innovative stuff. They don't care about a new version of comedy, a new version of sci-fi. They care about the stuff that's worked, that they enjoyed, and that's done well in box offices, TV shows, etc.
3: Well... My feeling of the show is that it's basically TNG meets The Office, and those are two things I've seen before. So, like, I don't see this as particularly original. I just see it as, why hasn't anyone done this thing sooner? Like, why why did it take us this long to get back to the core of, of optimistic sci-fi?
2: I think because Because everyone... Seth
1: MacFarlane's been working on Family Guy for 35 yeah. years. <laughs>
3: well, well, Seth MacFarlane isn't the only one who could do this. I mean, I love him, but there's nothing intrinsic to this concept that is MacFarlane.
2: I think I think that's the problem is everybody has expected that this should be coming from Star Trek. This should be, you know, Star Trek is supposed to be the optimistic, you know, let's let's go use science and explore the galaxy show. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek has become so let's find a way to make Star Trek dark, darker, and darker,
3: darker. darker. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, what can we do to, to twist it and make it so that, that the Federation people are fighting in there's infighting and and make it, you know, so it's not Star Trek. and. So I mean, people are sitting back and saying, "Okay, well, it's here's a Star Trek show," and then it's not Star Trek, and you know, and all this is all this is really doing is going back and making a Star Trek series. Yeah, yeah, that's all they're exactly. doing. That's mm-hmm. you know, they're changing the names, but the, they're just doing what you know the, what Star Trek is was originally doing. Yeah,
0: back I- in the day.
3: I keep saying TNG, but I really mean TOS also. Like I think that kind of that borderline well in TOS's case, exceptionally campy. That kind of campy, like direct feel. Um, the the whole political uh, uh allegories, you oh, know, things like that. Yeah. It's it's great. It feels so like ah, there's the there's the trek I remember.
2: Yes. hmm Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah, it's like the old Roddenberry, even like the old first couple ser couple uh Seasons of of uh, Next Generation when Roddenberry was there. There's some yeah. questions about some of the writing on that episode on the, during that time. Mm-hmm. But but the you know if if you took that flavor that Roddenberry uh, feel and just you know gave it some good fresh writing, done.
3: Yeah, I exactly. agree, hundred percent. Well, is anybody else watching Discovery? Does anybody want to try to compare those two?
1: I am not. I think Mark is. I haven't
2: yet. No, I haven't yet. No.
3: No. Okay, Okay, well, then I'm the only one, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Um,
2: Well, no, give us, (laughs) you know, know, give us general stuff. You know, how do you feel they compare?
3: Well, without like going too spoiler heavy into Discovery, basically, uh, Discovery's a a fine show. It's a good sci fi show, but it's definitely, it it, it follows that darker, darker Trek trend. Um, Whereas this one's probably the darkest yet. Um, it, It goes sort of. Off the rails as far as like the the canon goes, I think they're 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 more than happy to say, okay, let's just rewrite Star Trek lore however we want. And I think that's probably going to end up cheesing off the purists more than myself. But it, it it's a fine show. It's a good show. It's worth checking out. But it's definitely not Orville. It's definitely not optimistic. It's, it's not going to remind you of Trek at all. It reminds you way more of Babylon Five for, or not Babylon Five, but um, uh, Battlestar Galactica, something like that.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. So they're kind of taking that kind of darker, way too serious route.
3: Yeah, maybe not Maybe not as serious as BSG, because that was really kind of like almost nihilistic. Um, this one's, I mean, it, it doesn't go that far down the rabbit hole, but it's definitely like, like if you if you look at like, okay, uh, DS9 was darker than TNG. And it, like, if you follow the kind of the, the Voyager was kind of dark-ish and then Enterprise was darker than that, this would be the next continuation to that. It, it definitely feels
1: yeah like darker no, I completely understand that it definitely seems like it, um regardless of all the colors and and stuff I've seen of costumes, props, et cetera, it does seem like a very dark setting, like a Almost like a cinematically dark setting. Yeah, yeah.
3: Is that I think accurate? I think they were going more towards the the recent Star Trek movies as far as kind of the look and feel, um, and and which is by the way amazing. Like their special effects are absolutely top notch. I haven't seen a better like in, like the visuals that they do in that thing are are way better than you know anything else out there orville included but orville's clearly not trying to be you know like <laughs> that's that they're not going for the jj Abram, abrams lens flare craziness they're <laughs> they're just doing stories yeah. so yeah
1: the jj abrams
2: blowing everything up
3: yeah yeah i
2: i, I no, have that's, a feeling that's someone else i don't know yeah i, I have a feeling orville michael bay special yeah. effects are kind of special effect budget is kind of eh, and they do a good job with what they have, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think they were very, well, it's, let's see it's how this is. good ends. enough.
1: It's good enough it to is. not distract you from, from how quote unquote bad the special effects are, even though they're not that bad.
2: It's one of those that I'm sure in, in 20 years are going to look just as bad as the original as series Quest looks to us now, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, right.
3: I'm I'm willing to say I think that's part of the charm. I mean like, you know, yes. whenever I see bad kind of sci-fi mm-hmm. effects on screen where they they could have done it, you know, visually better but they didn't, I'm just like, okay, there we go. That's Trek for you, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um but yeah, with this being the first season, I'm sure that budget was a little lower, you uh-huh. know, for special effects, mm-hmm. set, stuff like that. And so when it goes on to the second season, it's going to have a, a bigger budget because it's going to have a, a huge you know fan following. I' going to be
0: I kind of
2: hope
3: they don't. Increase I, I was the budget. about to
2: say the same thing. Well I, I'm well, sure least they a will little bit. I just I hope they don't they don't go overboard with using it.
3: Yeah, like, I, I'd rather right, them put right. it into, like, crazy guest stars than actual, like, like effects <laughs> stuff. Because, yeah. like, I mean, I, I feel like, well, actually, A, keeping this thing cheap is probably what's going to keep it on the the air for longer. Like, every mm-hmm. sci-fi mm-hmm. show they've made on network TV gets canceled in one season because it's so expensive to produce. So yeah. if if Orville isn't expensive, then perhaps it will stick around. I mean, if it can survive the Fox death machine, then more power to him.
0: <laughs>
1: <Point>. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And Seth MacFarlane's had a lot of bad experiences with Fox.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's definitely for sure. I think he's used to it, but oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Oh, Anything else actually, about the Orville?
3: Is he, uh, and I'm sorry, I watched this on, on Hulu. So I'm not hundred percent sure. It is on Fox, right?
1: I don't think yeah. it is. Is it? No. Is yeah, it Fox? I go to the, I go to the Fox website and watch it.
3: Because oh, okay. I just had a thought. How is this going to be impacted by the Disney Fox thing? You think Disney's going to shut this down because it's like it's too close to Star Wars,
1: Mark?
2: Heck, I no. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I, I, you know. I,
1: it's it's not more like Star Wars; it's more like Star Trek. So I don't think there's a problem there.
2: Yeah, I think I think if it's successful, it'll you know. <laughs> I think Disney's track record is that something successful they beat it into the ground. But uh, exactly, <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to argue with success. Um, yeah, in the short run, at least.
3: I think you're probably right on that. I feel like their value from the whole Fox acquisition was was trying to get things like Simpsons and Family Guy, so they could put that on their own streaming service that they've got coming out soon. And um, no, and, no, no,
2: no, no. I think the biggest thing that was driving that was getting. What are the what are the two biggest things that Disney has going for it?
0: Star Marvel Wars and, Star and Marvel. Wars, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: They've united the Marvel universe, and 20th Century Fox still had... Hang, was hanging on to a few Star Wars rights.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've just and, compiled,
2: yeah. And don't they have Indiana Jones now too? That's Paramount. Paramount had Indiana Jones. They Star. uh they have Disney aliens. Does, Disney does own uh, uh, Star. Oh, another one is uh, Avatar. Avatar mm. was 20th Century Fox. And, oh, that's
3: so Disney. Yeah, okay.
2: and yeah. and Disney has uh, an Avatar Land in the park. So, oh really? So yeah. So owning an Avatar. <laughs> Owning, owning the Avatar franchise is having that
0: completely in their pocket is a you know, nice bonus. Well,
3: if they own aliens now, does that make the alien queen a Disney princess?
2: Well, before she was <laughs> married, yes.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't have Disney queens, do they? The Disney queens tend to be right. evil, which totally tracks. So there you go. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs>
1: so, yes. <laughs> okay. Oh. I think we need to wrap up Orville and scoot on to our main topic. Hey, this is tabletop radio hour. And we've been talking for 40 minutes about the Orville.
3: <laughs> I hear they're making a game about Orville. There you go. Hear that. I didn't really hear that, but I just gave us cover.
1: <laughs> We're not talking about it anymore. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. But now I think we're going to move on to our main topic of playtesting. Now this sparked a little bit because we playtested Mark's new version of Steam Spy. And then the week after that we had playtested my game. And, and I think pretty soon we're going to be kind of somewhat playtesting Steve's Recomec game. Mm-hmm. Um, at least playtesting for the, the user interface side of it. Um, because I'm sure it's been play tested.
3: Yeah, it's it's gone through play several chess. rounds for that. But I, honestly, I'm always listening to feedback, and and even though I thought I was pretty much ninety nine percent done, like in doing this, like getting set up for this next round of play testing, I was like, you know what, I could change this, I could change this, and this, and this, and this,
2: <laughs>
1: and
3: that's kind of how it's always going to work, isn't it? Like you're never really happy with it. So
2: true.
1: it's yeah, true. Yeah, you're you're always the most the most um, critical of your own creations.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
1: definitely. Um, but yeah, when we when we play tested Steam Spy um, off the air most recently mm. a couple weeks back now, right? Um, we got some good things out of it. We definitely did. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Um. Mark is pretty close to the release of that, so that's that's pretty exciting. Very well, true.
3: I, and Steam Spy Stories definitely kind of had a leg up because basically it benefited mechanically from all the playtesting that's gone on in the original Steam Spy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you were starting off on ground, you know, from like you know, from nothing on that one. That's a good but point. Yeah, I, I I truly do feel though that Steam Spy Stories like moves more organically than the original game. Like it's a really really solid concept you've got here. Oh, good. Thank
1: you. But yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm I'm very excited for that version of the game, you know, for, for that, what you've, you've accomplished with the, uh, the additions or subtractions. Oh, cool. Thanks. Definitely.
2: But but yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of going back to kind of what you were saying earlier. Um, I think it was probably George Lucas who said that films are never finished. They're just abandoned. And I kind of feel <laughs> that, that's kind of true of the, the design process for, for games too. It's like, you know, we played that and I immediately started thinking of ways to rewrite the original game and, and things, you know, there's, there's always something that you could be changing and doing. And there's just, there's a, there just needs to be a point where it's working. Let it, let it be. And I guess that raises mm-hmm. the question of how much play testing is enough play testing
3: that's a great question and oh my god do i wish i had an answer for you because i don't (laughs) i don't know like i'm on i'm on my 10th revision of recomec okay and so clearly i have no idea when to stop and i wish someone
1: would tell me too.
3: zach can you help us out here the other side of that story
2: is 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 there (laughs) such a thing as too much playtesting?
1: of course of course i think there is i think um like a healthy diet everything's good in moderation
2: but what is the moderation then
1: You know, I think it just really depends on the kind of game you're going after. So let's compare, like, you know, Reckomeck and Steam Spy together with my game. That's, that's, you know, less mechanics, less crunchy, stuff like that. With the less crunchy stuff, yeah, it needs a lot of playtesting, but it won't need as much just because there's no conflict with cards. There's no conflict with abilities or different builds of players. It's a lot of cut and paste. I don't want to say it's a lot of cut and paste. It just makes <laughs> it seem way too simple. Um, you know, but there are a lot more simple elements to my game than comparatively to a a card game or even a, a slider heftier RPG like Steam spy is mm-hmm Rec-a-mec isn't an RPG at all, so it's all
3: crunch exactly. there like it's nothing but the rules um at least on on Steam spy, you know it's like or you know any rpg there's there's like a, that kind of organic like player contribution base in my case, you know I can't count on anything from players they're not they're not contributing anything it's just you know
2: playing <laughs> yeah, cards you know, that's a good point, you know you've kind of talked about whether by definition a role playing game is something where the players can go in a direction that the, the designers or, or game master wasn't anticipating. So, you know, for, for an actual role-playing game, how much, you know, how much playtesting can there be? You
1: know, I think in that case, you, you have to play test with a good amount of different groups when it comes to RPGs. Because elements of, of how people approach things and their ideas, et cetera, are going to change from person to person. From Very
2: true. Very
1: mm-hmm. true. And so you have you have to have a more variety of people when playtesting that way with an RPG. Um, but with with Steve's recomec, you you could have the same group every week for 25, 45 playthroughs, however many times you want to do it. Mm-hmm it's going to be constant.
3: Yeah. The, the ideal testing for the me order... would be to not have people at all and do the entire thing through simulation on a computer because <laughs> exactly. like, yeah. I mean, and, and you just, there's that not even applicable to an RPG.
1: So, but like with that, like with a card game, with a dice game, with anything, you know, something that's not influenced by the players that can be run with a simple simulation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a way to play test. Of course. You you can you can't do that with an RPG just because there's so many outside elements that can affect results. Yes. Like with my game, with you know, with the um amount of narration that you have, with the the different things you want to create, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all aspects that come from somebody's brain, you know? Right when we when we play through we we played through our our little playthrough little hour hour and a half whatever uh-huh. that ended that way I could do that exact same startup scenario same NPCs same everything get an entirely different result fifteen twenty times you know yep. just depending on the people easy yeah so that's always something to consider when when you're comparing your game notes with the rules. Yeah. Or or with, with your playtest rules, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's it's unpredictable, which is the bad thing about playtesting. You know, with with RPG testing, there's always that unpredictable thing.
3: Well, and I think that's the good thing, too, that the unpredictable situations are what you're trying to account for. That's what you're trying to find.
1: Exactly. And that's why we have somebody like Steve that that comes up with the unpredictable stuff
3: (laughs) Is that my job now. (laughs) Um, Well, well, I was going to say, and and now that I've said this out loud, really, there is a concrete reason to do like live person playtesting on a a crunchy numbers based card game. Uh, And that's because one thing you can't get an answer for from a computer is, is it fun? and the the huh. post game questionnaire that i uh, hand out is you know like 80% of the questions on there are qualitative things like things that you wouldn't mm-hmm. get an answer for from a computer like how could this be made better did you enjoy it things like that like i don't care how many times i run the numbers on it a computer's never going to be able to say you know what i'm so bored of this like <laughs>
1: <laughs> right but the difference between that is if if your if your problem is the numbers You can run a simulation. Yes. Yeah. You can do that until the numbers are good. Mm -hmm. Then you can play test it. You can go, how was this? I tried fixing all of the numbers, all the complication, et cetera, et cetera. Was it fun? How was your experience, et cetera? So that kind of speeds up that process.
3: Yeah. It's a whole subset of problems that you can address more directly, like in a simulated environment. um, Mm -hmm. Then exactly.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. the the different problems, quote unquote, of the game um, can be resolved in these different ways better because that's what the player is meant to do. The computer player is meant to do it X number of times, finding out, you know, this and that, and it doesn't affect um, experience. Perfect. Fine. You figured that out. Then once that either either before or after whenever you want to do that, you can go and play it with real people, and get their audible, visual, all these different, you know, clues and all these different hints that people give off when they're feeling discouraged or happy or excited, scared. Sad that the game's a piece of crap. I don't <laughs> yeah,
3: bored is a big one. Yeah, yeah
1: you want to avoid board that. Bored is a good one. That was well, that was the other one that I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah, with with the human side of that, it's definitely better for that. It's definitely because you get all those visual, verbal, sighs, uh, tears of pain and anguish, <laughs> <laughs> a
3: lot of swearing. Yeah,
1: True. a lot of swearing. So
2: yeah, I think another interesting. You know a good aspect of having the the actual player approach is also uh, understandability. you know how, which are these yeah, rules which of these rules are are easy to comprehend and, and user friendly um, and the ones that aren't so much can they be tweaked to make them more user friendly? Um, and you know that part of that is going to come into is going to address how the enjoyability of the game, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're, they're definitely hand in hand. So how
1: easy the game is, how fast you can get into the game really goes along with how enjoyable it is.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. uh, Like, like with, with my game, you know, when, after we play tested it and then I revised the rules, we haven't play tested it after that, which we need to do. Um, you know, Mark told me, Hey, that whole dice health thing is going to need an explanation. I was like, perfect. I know how it works. Doesn't mean people are going to know how it works. Right. You know, it's like, that's the thing. That's why you play test. That's why you get other people's input. And, uh, and I will say this group is very good for input.
3: Well, thank you. I think
1: think we're, um, we're, we, we are willing and happy to, um, be as critical as we need to to help you get to your final product. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that can that can be said the same for you know for Steam Spy, for Recomac, for oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. all been we've all been giving that input where we need it. Oh, I'm, I'm harsh.
3: I'll let you have it both <laughs> barrels if I don't like it. So yeah, And well, like- then
1: I'll unfriend you on Facebook. Like, <laughs> Is that why that happened? Okay, <laughs> that makes so much more sense now. <laughs> I just keep doing that until you notice. <laughs>
2: But no, that's another. That's another great approach to to play testing is just giving a game to players and say, okay, break this,
0: mm-hmm. find out, yeah.
2: find out what doesn't work. Where you know, how? What are ways you could abuse this system? And then, and okay, the, the, here's another question for the for the room: is is there a line then between having to fix problems and just telling players don't be dicks? it's anime. a
1: common sense thing i think i think it's an un, it's an unwritten rule of game players with the with the exception of power gamers or mm-hmm. those un unholy people but you know it's kind of like it goes back to to the question is you know this is a game why are why are you playing to try to beat everybody you're working together you're you know with the exception of Rekomek, which is competitive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um when it's a collaborative game it's a collaborative storytelling game why do you want to try and win why do, what's your what's your point what are you trying to get out of this and if if that's not consistent with your gaming group you could be whatever game it can be whatever game but for know,
2: the purpose of playtesting though Do you, do you need to play to that, that character type or do you need to address it? I don't, I don't think so. But,
1: but I think when getting together your playtesting groups, you, you might have to, you know, put
2: them in a different playtest group or, you know, but, but that's not something that you would have for your, your consumer group. You you sell a game to a a group of players, they could very well have the same situation where one of the players is that way.
3: Yeah, I I got to say, I got a completely different take on this. I I think that you need to have dicks in your playtesting group and not not exclusively, but they need to be part of your mix. They need to be accounted for because they're the ones that are going to point out if you've got glaring flaws in your architecture that can be easily exploited. Um, And the last thing you want is to, like, you know, spend six months putting out a game and then somebody on the forum says, hey, just play Berserker and you win. And and that's true. That's like crushing, yeah. you know, like, you, you know, it, it, I, I think it's really important that you have somebody who's actually focused on on goals of the game that you weren't thinking of when you made it. Like, I, like, if you're making a collab game, you're not thinking of like, okay, what if somebody tries to run the whole thing? What if somebody tries to break the game? Uh, like differing motivations are exactly what you need to account for in playtesting.
1: Right. I think what I was trying to get at is Maybe having a group that doesn't, you know, maybe at the beginning just to try to get um, get the feeling of how the game works without somebody that's a dick in the game just to kind of give you, you know, a good, you know, a good GM session if you're running it, mm-hmm. you know, have a good play experience, have a good, solid, non confusing play experience, you know, towards the beginning, just so you can kind of get the surface stuff out of the way. And then once, once you get a little bit more into play testing and once you're, you're going harder into that. Yeah. Bring, bring some power gamers in there. Bring somebody that's going to break the game because all of the stuff that's on the surface, all of those imperfections that you can see clearly when you just play, Mm -hmm. those will be gone. You don't have to worry about those anymore. You know, then you can get into the heavy stuff. I think Mm -hmm. you always have to worry about them. I think that
3: like you need like somebody who's aggressively trying to break your game all the time. Um, Not all of them. If you've got five people that are out to like bust your game up, then you're not going to get any valuable info. But I think like even from the even from the first thing, like the first session, if somebody sits down and they're like, I'm not having fun. So I'm just going to like, you know, try to go off the rails like the off the rails thing is what you really need to account for. That's the point of having playtesting in the first place.
2: Now Very the, true. Now there is a correct me if i'm wrong but there is a prelude to game testing at least game testing with others where you're just basically just game playing with yourself in your you know you're you're doing these these thought experiments of putting together interestingly enough just this week i had an idea for a game which you know we i i think i threw to you guys but We haven't talked about, there's no, I haven't gotten any feedback from anybody, but just in my head, I have been kind of playing through games and situations and, you know, trying things out, um, and, and pretty much just play testing in and of myself. And it seems like that's kind of the, everybody's cooperating if I'm just doing it by myself. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that, that gives you a good feel of. If, if it will be successful or not. Right. And if, if people yeah. should should like it if you were to write the game correctly. Well,
2: well, it, it kind of tells me that this is, if everybody's thinking, thinking along the same lines that I am, this is how the game would go. But kind of the whole purpose of bringing other players is in. The, the reason for bringing in other playtesters is to see how it stands up when people start looking at it from different perspectives.
3: Yeah. I, I think right. you're right. This, this, this kind of gestational sandbox period is absolutely vital in your pre alpha, like development, your planning stage to begin with. Like, absolutely. Yes. Like you want, you got to start with the core of, you know, this is how it's supposed to run. Like, you know, visualize the engine, visualize the whole thing and get a really good feel of like, of, of why this is a good game that's going to happen. And then, and, and that all, you know, that's, that's core to your initial development. But once you start pulling in playtesters, you know, you should probably be to the point there, like you should be confident enough about your core concept that if, you know, you can turn you can turn any kind of troll on the Internet loose on it and <laughs> and you'll get either a useful feedback or troll related garbage, but you'll be able to tell <laughs> yes. the difference. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, That whole initial. You know running it through in your mind um it's it is really helpful it seems a little far fetched and a little nonsensical but it's it's definitely a a, a good thing to do oh. you know, because if you can if you can think about things to do and you can think about ways to approach different things in the game that means other people should be able to as well exactly you know, Yes. And that's the point of an RPG coming up with these different ideas as you play. Yeah.
2: And it could go so far as actually, you know, pulling out a character and, and, you know, making some actual dice rolls by yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, to play through some things, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a good strong way to get a good base of, of what you're working towards.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Part of the planning process. That's
1: kind of good. If you don't want to run a simulator, which is really, really easy. Um, That's how I came up with my target number for my game. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, I took a couple, you know, D6, three, four. I rolled, found a good number that didn't come up all the time, but, you know, it was good enough.
3: Sure. So we, might, we might have to sure. talk later. I've had uh, limited success in, 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 in setting up simulators for my, uh, uh, my kind of <laughs> card games that I've worked on. Um, and generally it, it boils down to either me rolling dice at a table or like just live play testing. So if you've got a framework that can handle a more robust uh, kind of rule set and, and, and modeling, uh, that's something I'm really kind of weak in. And I need to pursue further for my
1: stuff then i would i would suggest looking elsewhere because <laughs> oh my my game requires a very low amount of dice a uh, specific target number and something that i can get simple statistics for <laughs> oh i see
3: so okay never mind i thought you were you actually had it modeled someplace sorry
1: oh no ah. oh no i'm not that good <laughs>
3: I've been working on. It. I thought Tabletopia about... might do that for us, but like, I I got into Tabletopia, and it turns out that's it's it's really great for setting up live people, but it's absolutely brain dead as far as like you can't make NPCs for it, you can't make like AI characters or players. Uh, I, I yes. was super excited. I thought I could model out the whole thing and just do like a, uh, like have it play itself for fifty games and things like that. Nope, nope, nope. It it requires actual people. <laughs>
1: Then then we better get cracking if we want to get to that 50 games. Yeah. That's right.
3: <laughs> well, I, I made it specifically a three player layout, so we should be good.
1: Nice. Cool. But yeah, I'm definitely excited for Rekomek. Uh Yeah, we're, we're putting Reckomek into Tabletopia. It is a, a virtual tabletop simulation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And by we, we mean Steve. Yeah. We mean Steve, and <laughs> yeah. we're just going to hop in and join one day. But it's, right.
3: it's working out really cool. And once it's finalized, it's something that you could actually just, you know, flip, uh, like publish and stick a price tag on and sell it through Tabletopia. So you could potentially yeah, like, you could people, envision a world do
1: that with their games, too.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can actually sell it online. So like you can and, and it goes through the Tabletopia framework on Steam. So potentially I could mm-hmm. actually have a game sort of available on Steam.
2: There you go.
1: But yeah. Awesome, Steve's gonna have a game on Steam. So.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll believe it when
1: I see it. <laughs> Look forward to that. <laughs> uh, anything else we need to talk about with playtesting? Well, we've actually, kind of we've talked a
2: cloud. lot about yeah. uh, playtesting for for creating games for original content. But what about playtesting uh, a new game? You know, when you get, so being
1: a playtester.
2: Well, no, not even necessarily. You get a. a finished published game that you're getting ready to go introduce to your game group how much do you sit down and and play and play around with it in order to try and learn it and get used to it um you try and again try and find the the flaws in the system before bringing it to your group um how how much of that do you you guys do
1: if if you take our 7th c actual play as as a an answer for that <laughs> um i know it's it's difficult with the whole round robin new gm every week thing but if you think about it we played for six episodes ish before we actually used our raises correctly <laughs> <laughs> Let's I'm just I'm just throwing it out
2: there. I'm being honest. That's
1: fair. That's well yeah if you think about that.
2: But that but that you know, I, I know when I was game mastering that was something I was kind of feeling and you know, because I had done that before. I had played you know so I'd created a character and I'd kind of made roles and, and played around with that kind of uh you know, using using raises. And, you know, that was kind of one of those that did feel odd to me. You know, we were, you know, I was game mastering and I think Steve meant I'm going to make an observation roll. And it's like observation roll. What the hell is that?
0: And <laughs> yeah. You yeah. can't
2: make observation rolls in this game, but I didn't say anything. Cause I thought, well, he must've game tested it differently than I did. And, you know, mm-hmm. not under, not understood, right. you know, what, uh, so, you know, you're right. You the, with, with multiple game masters, especially there was a matter of kind of syncing up stuff. Yeah. But uh but
1: honestly, you know, it it kind of just depends on the kind of player you are. Um listening to this, it seems like we are both very different players because when I create a a character or I'm 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 learning a new game or whatever, I, you know, I read the rules, I reread the stuff that's confusing. I research it if I don't understand it still and then i I jump into the game you huh. know i'm I'm the kind of person that just wants to go in and if if there are a problem if there's a problem, a lot of the times the g m will know you know if if I've got a question about this and they've been running it for a while, whatever um I'll ask them I'll learn it then, and then you know remember that for the future you know and then and then um just keep on going you know yeah um I don't put a a whole lot of like statistical planning into my characters. I just kind of go this sounds like a great idea for a character. I can I can work a story around this. Let's jump in.
2: Oh yeah. I think well I think there's that's two different levels too is you know play testing for, as a character or play testing as a GM. Right. M need be a little bit more fluent in what's happening. I would think I would hope doing some experimenting and playing around with the- of course.
3: I think of course. I think the GM always needs to have a better feel for what's going on than the players. Like if if anybody at the table, and if, if the player used to be GMs and they know plenty of it, that's great. But overall, um, if there's if there's one person at the table who has to know what's going on, it's the GM. So yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. True.
1: Sure. Very, very true. Uh one more thing I wanted to talk about before we get going. Um is being a playtester. You know, being the person at the table that's supposed to be giving the GM notes, the Mm. game creator notes, whatever. Good call.
3: Yeah. Good, good, good time. Definitely.
1: Because we're, we've, we've been talking about this as the creator side of things and, and how, how we're approaching it at that end. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but honestly, if you think about it, it's kind of the most important person at the table is the player, the person that's helping this creator, you know, make this game better. So people like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, something I always stress when I talk about playtesting is take physical notes, have a notepad, have a piece of paper, have something mm-hmm. to write down, jot down something. You know, it doesn't matter if it takes a second for you to move to the side and write it down. That's why you're there. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris Rollins, NPC, Chris, he is a, uh, a fellow podcaster, although he hasn't been on the airwaves in a little while um, because his most recent uh, game on Kickstarter, he's working on a bunch of development for that. Um, But he came out with these little uh, booklets. I don't know if you've seen like those field notes, um, those little small note card sized uh, little field note uh, maybe like 25 pages in it. You can just jot stuff down. Um, he custom made some of those for game playtesting. So like on the front, you write what game you're play testing for, you know, and then on the inside you can write all the notes you want. Um, he's customized a lot of stuff for him, but he's got these little, um, little booklets that you can go and buy from them. Um, you can find them on, Oh, uh, NPC cast on, on Twitter and, uh, 1,000 XP huh. 1,000 being written out 1,000. Um, and you can buy those there if you want to. So, um, I would love to have well, playtesters
3: yeah. who are conscientious enough to like actually bring their own booklet, and <laughs>
1: provide like <laughs> written
3: feedback yeah. for stuff. How great would that be? Huh?
1: Yeah, no Seriously. Kidding. But, but like, if you think about it, you know, if if you're part of a group like we are right now, <laughs> right now we're all working on something. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <Yep. laughs> you know, so you know, we have to you know, be on the same page as at some point in time we're gonna be play testing something. Yeah. You know, so you know, but but yeah, always take notes. Be as honest as you can be. Because hiding how you feel about the game or a certain rule or being confused about something that just, Hurts more than it helps.
3: Yeah, I think if you're a playtester, like the worst thing is the fact that you're you're in a very awkward position by default, okay? Because you're dealing with you know somebody's baby. You've got a, a creator here who's asking you to check his stuff and and is is asking for an honest opinion. And he would love for you to say this game is perfect, and that would be the wrong answer across the board because <laughs> yeah, like it's exactly. like saying this game is perfect is completely useless to anybody. Like that's that's what he wants to hear, but it's it's there's no point in in saying that at all like you've got to actually and if you're and the deal is like it, you've got a responsibility to kind of like break it down so if it's if it's not working you know at least get them in there even if you don't like launch into it like you were like you know, tearing into episode one, okay? You don't have to go that into it, but it, it is always a good idea to let people, let them know like what works, what doesn't. And that's that's just sort of what starts. If there's like a core there that's good, but, you know, something based around it isn't quite clicking, just let them know, you know, give them some indication on what to kind of grow towards. Um, Mm -hmm. because that's the kind of feedback that, that anybody's going to need. And, you know, it's, 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 (laughs) it's better to hear it now from you than, you know, he he read his horrible reviews on board game geek. So,
2: (laughs) right. And the other side of that, that coin too, if if you're, if you're asking for game testing, realize that the point of that is to get feedback. So don't take this stuff personally. They're trying to help you. Yeah. And you know, that's, yeah. Have that
1: open mind. Yeah. Exactly. Have the, uh, constructive criticism mind,
2: you right? Know. <clears throat> you know, and excuse me, it may be a case of you know maybe the player just isn't getting something that is part of the rules, and and they just didn't understand it. Well, that that's feedback too. Yeah, that means your explanation needs to be.
3: That's um, yeah. Why you're testing? Yeah. yeah.
2: So you know, if if you're a play tester and something doesn't make sense to you, bring it up. And maybe maybe the solution is already there, and it's an easy yeah. fix. Um, Yeah.
1: Don't be afraid to ask questions.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I
1: I kind of try and stray away from a lot of questions during gameplay. Um, I kind of open up general questions at the beginning. If there's like if there's like an urgent question about rules or something in the moment right there, ask Uh it. Perfect. Go for it in the game. Um, but then if it's not like super critical, if it's about setting, if it's about anything else, leave it for the end, you know, write it down, remember it, you know, move past it. Good call. Um, but yeah, questions are always great. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> as a creator, I love as, as a writer, you know, ever, ever since I started my first short story or my first draft of whatever, um, I always loved people to ask me questions, you know, it's like, do you have any questions? And when they said no,
2: I would be like, oh.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I guess it wasn't very
1: interesting then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Next time I'm not going to put as much detail on the story.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Today's story,
2: stuff happened. Any questions?
1: Mm -hmm. Any questions? What kind of stuff? Oh, okay. Um, Let me write some stuff for you. (laughs) Thank you. But yeah. um, Yeah. No, like be honest. I think I said it already, but be honest with your, with your, Construction, mm-hmm. construction. I don't remember I criticism.
0: Constructive criticism, yes. Constructive
1: be, criticism.
2: Be honest, but um, give give actual content to what mm-hmm. you're saying. Don't just say it sucks.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, el- elaborate.
1: It, I think yeah, is it, what it's like, yeah. Mark means.
2: I, I didn't feel like it. Was, it was kind of slow, and that made it hard for to keep my attention. You know, that's 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 an actual actionable content but you know like right. just saying that yeah. eh, it sucks that doesn't that doesn't really help that doesn't give us any give the creator any
1: because because when you elaborate you don't have to say the exact words it sucks when you elaborate and keep elaborating <laughs> you're gonna mm-hmm. the the creator's gonna realize that there's something wrong
0: yeah <laughs> sure
3: yeah sure Exactly. Well, and yeah, when you you do a
2: half hour of 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 details about things that didn't work, yeah, it sucks is going to be implied. Yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
3: they got it. That That was in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in between the lines. Right. I think that that happened within minute 3. I think that that happened within,
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, Mark discovered a really valuable service through um uh, uh the game crafter, the site that we use. Oh. Uh you can yeah. ap- apparently uh you can pay them and they will they will play test and review everything about your game, the written rules, the com- the components, the actual game itself. Can you talk about that? I haven't actually done it yet, but I really um, want to.
2: Actually, no, it, they don't play test it, but they just uh go through your rules. And cuz you know, we're talking about the game, but then writing rules is a whole other part of this mm-hmm. in, that, in making your rules understandable and uh, uh, making it so, you know, because you can't sit down with everybody who buys your game and mm-hmm. explain it to them. You have to have your rules do that for you and be clear and concise and uh, go through that. So, um, yeah, so that's something I did with uh, the original Steam Spy game. And, uh, yeah, it was great. Got a lot of really good feedback for that. And some of the feedback I ignored, I said, yeah, I don't agree. And, you know, I, I bounced right. it off Steve and Steve said, yeah, i ignore that part. But yeah, you know, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff there. And, and that is, you know, that, that, like I say, that's a whole nother level of it is just looking at, uh, looking at your rule book, um, and getting critiques on that over and above the actual game mechanics.
1: So essentially you're saying they kind of proofread it, make sure it is concise enough, stuff like that. They, mm-hmm. they read it through and, and if, if it's understandable, it's yeah, cool. it, well, is that what you're saying? They do. That's
2: part of it. Uh, proofreading it. They also kind of said, okay, your character creation, sh- you know, might it'd be better if you had your character creation before the gameplay aspect or and layout, you know, too. layout. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of layout stuff. Um, you know, that uh, your, your border is too big. And, you you know, it's so a lot of that stuff, just about everything. They, in that case, they really kind of were really thorough. And
3: it seemed like uh, a ton of really good whenever. feedback for a lot of it. But that's
1: what really, yeah. that's really nice. But
3: yeah. that actually brings up a, another point. I know we're, we're <laughs> kind of winding out here. But one of the other things, I guess, is when not to take. Uh, feedback. Like, say, you know, if somebody mm-hmm. writes on the page there, it's like, you know, this Rekamek would be so much better if it were called Rec a pony and about ponies instead. Like, at some point, you have <laughs> to say, it's existing it's customer service. The customer isn't always right. So if they're like, right. you know, your game, you know, if they don't like that type of game, you have to acknowledge that, you know, there's, there's certain aspects of That's some a, feedback that you can't preference. reconcile. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're not obliged to, um, you know, to basically do every, <laughs> <you> know, respond <laughs> right. to every comment that somebody has in a game. Um, you should definitely pay attention to it, evaluate it, and, and, and give it an honest judgment. But don't feel compelled to change your game every time, you know, somebody's like, you know, they, 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 for every comment that somebody makes.
1: Yeah, I, I would say don't, okay, prob, probably don't take any creative suggestions, I would say, unless it's something minor.
2: You know, it's because it's,
0: well, it's listen, something
2: to where, go for it. I would say, listen to them, but don't feel, uh, feel like you have to change. Obligated yeah. to them. Correct. Yeah. 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 Right, right. Um,
1: yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really care if you told me to change my game to something else, you know, because that's, that's going to be your personal preference versus my personal preference, the game developer. Mm hmm. So it's like, okay, but like if it's like rule stuff or uh, how, how, you know, coherent the uh, rules are or, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. Listen to those. Take those. Yeah. Uh Do do change, change something about that. But um but yeah, all all these (laughs) (laughs) Wreck-A-Pony.
3: Wreck-A-Pony. That's my next game, by the way.
1: (laughs) Electric espionage. There we go. Yep. I was I was trying to trying to throw steam spy in there. <laughs> steam spork. It'd be so much better if it were about <laughs> eating utensils. What was
3: that? What was uh, that steam one steam spork? It would be about yeah, eating steam utensils. Spork.
2: <laughs> Playing yes. plastic plastic uh, flatware. Yes.
1: But yeah, uh, any other any other main things we want to talk about before we head off of here?
2: Pretty well covered it.
3: Mm-hmm. I would I would give the show high
1: marks. Marks high. Is that what you say? <laughs>
2: How did you know? Wow, oh, amazing.
1: You're a little more bubbly than, than <laughs> the other weeks. I, I just didn't know. Oh, man. I don't know if it's this Star Wars high or whatever.
2: But. Just because I've been sitting here eating cookies this whole time, dude, you know. <laughs> that's
1: the secret. That's what that crunch is. <laughs> and that's it for this episode of Tabletop Radio Hour. Like always, you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletopradiohour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. We also have an email address. That is tabletopradiohour at yahoo.com. Our website? tabletopradiohour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep rolling 20s.